Several years ago, I spoke at a event, and afterward they gave me a envelope. I got home, I opened it up, it was a thank you card, and inside was a gift card for $100 to the Gateway Mall. I thought, well, that's nice. I really didn't expect to get anything. So a couple of weeks later, I went to the mall, went to Sears, calculated $100 worth of tools, went to pay for it, and she scanned the card, said, sir, I'm sorry, there's only about $2 on this card. I said, what? I don't understand. It says $100. She says, sir, this card is years old. And after a certain amount of time, they start to diminish the value, and there's about $2 on the card. So after I put all my tools back and was driving back home, I started to laugh when I thought about the scene as it must have been. At the last minute, they're thinking, Oh no, Pastor Clark is coming. He's going to speak. We ought to give him something. So they're rummaging around through the desk. They find an old gift card that's been there for years that no one has used. And they think that'll do. Throw it in the card. So imagine, now I would never do this, but imagine if I go back to them and say, just thought you'd want to know there was like $2 on that card. And rather than saying, oh, we feel terrible, they say, hey, we're busy people. That's all we had time for. Take it or leave it. I find myself wondering, is that sometimes how we treat God? We're busy with our own agenda. We're busy with our own stuff. We have all this other stuff we're doing. And we offer God the leftovers, what little bit we can spare. And while we would never say it, it comes with an attitude of that's all I have right now, take it or leave it. I wonder how God feels about that. What's what we want to talk about this morning? If you have a Bible, turn with us to Hebrews chapter 11. Last week, Ryan did a great job of starting our summer series in Hebrews chapter 11. He reminded us of what Hebrews says, faith is the assurance, the title deed of things hoped for. It's by faith that we take possession, we own the promises of God. That it's the conviction of things unseen. So much of what we believe by faith isn't something I can necessarily see, but that doesn't make it any less real. By faith, I believe it to be true. Hebrews 11.3 talks about by faith. We believe that God is the creator of the universe. Ryan talked about this. If that's true, that changes everything. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we get our first story. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. So what does that 
mean? To understand that, we have to go back and look at the story. So I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter four. And let's look at the story of Cain and Abel. To really understand the story of Cain and Abel, you have to understand what has preceded that. The first five words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created. Just like Hebrews 11.3. If that's true, that changes everything. We learn that we as people are made in the image of God to have a relationship with God and to find our life there and to walk in his ways. But in Genesis chapter three, along comes the serpent with his little bag of lies. And he tells Adam and Eve, you know, life could be better if you were in charge. If you decide what's right and wrong, if you function as your own God, I think that would be better. And sadly, Adam and Eve believe the lies and they are evicted from the Garden of Eden. So you come out of Genesis chapter three with two paths that basically run all the way through the rest of the Bible. One path is made up of those who surrender to God as God and choose to walk in obedience to him and believe that it's on God's path, I find the life my soul is longing for. The other path is made up of people determined to be their own God. Don't tell me what to do, I wanna run my own life. Those two paths are fleshed out in the story of Cain and Abel. So we pick it up then, chapter four, verse one. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel. What Eve says after the birth of Cain is very interesting and it's very disgust. It could be translated, I have created the man-child. A lot of scholars think it's a reference to the promise made in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that Eve thinks she has pulled off. She has created the man-child. I happen to think that's true. We really don't have time to go through the evidence for that. But I do find myself wondering This is the same arrogance that got them kicked out of the garden. And I wonder, is it the same arrogance that so affected Cain and his attitude toward God? Because with the birth of Abel, nothing else is said. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel is a shepherd, Cain is a farmer. So it came about in the course of time. That's another interesting statement. Whenever you're reading through these Old Testament narratives, there are huge time gaps that often we are completely unaware of. 
So how much time has passed is really impossible to determine. We do know a few things. We know that when God passes judgment on Cain, he voices concern that other people on earth will try to kill him. He's also married and has children. And when Cain kills Abel, Adam and Eve have another son named Seth to replace Abel. And we know at that time, Adam is 130 years old. So probably quite a bit of time has passed. Clearly God has communicated some expectations to people. We aren't really privy to what that is. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. Now just to be clear here, throughout the Old Testament, this idea of firstlings and fat portions is consistently used as a reference to giving the best that you have. As a shepherd, the best that he would have had would have been his firstlings and the fatty portions. So essentially what's said is Abel gave the best that he had. Cain gave something. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. One of the interesting things in this text is how did they know what was acceptable and what was unacceptable? Clearly, Cain knew that his offering wasn't accepted before God, but how did he know that? Some scholars think that when an offering was acceptable before God, fire came from heaven and consumed the offering. If it wasn't acceptable, it just awkwardly sat there. Very similar to the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. If you remember the story, the prophets of Baal put their offering on the altar and spend all day trying to get their God to do something. And it just becomes more and more awkward and more and more embarrassing. Finally, Elijah puts his sacrifice on the altar and flames come from heaven and consume not only the sacrifice, but the altar and everything in this dramatic moment. There's several places in the Old Testament where that sort of thing happens. So whether that's what happened or not, it's impossible to know. But just for the sake of our discussion this morning, let's use that imagery because it's very powerful. So let's imagine this morning I bring my offering of worship and I place it on the altar. And all of a sudden, there's a fire that comes from heaven and it consumes the offering in a dramatic moment and everybody steps back. They're like, whoa, what a moment that would be. 
but also imagine the moment if I came and put my sacrifice of worship on the altar. And everybody's waiting for the big moment. And it just sits there. And it sits there. And everybody's getting uncomfortable and it's getting more and more awkward because nothing's happening. It's just sitting there. It's easy to think that I can pursue my own agenda, I can have my own values, I can pretty much run my own life and then offer God whatever. And God's supposed to be okay with that. While we would never verbalize it, we with our attitude are saying, hey, I'm a busy guy, got a lot of things going, you're lucky I'm even here this morning. This is what I got, take it or leave it. To which God says, no thanks, don't want it. This shouldn't be that hard for us to understand. We see this in our own human relationships. For example, let's imagine that it's Valentine's Day. And I'm a very important guy, so I'm busy all day with my own agenda and I'm doing my thing and I really don't even think about it. And then I'm driving home and somebody on the radio says something about Valentine's Day and I'm like, uh-oh. Uh so I stop at the Dollar General in Hickman. I pick up a bag of candy. I get home and I say, honey, honey, here's your bag of candy I love. Maybe earlier that day, she was at the Dollar General and she saw it sitting on the sale rack. <laughs> Is there anybody in the room that thinks that's gonna be okay? The reality is she doesn't need more stuff. She doesn't need a bag of candy. She doesn't want a bag of candy. What she wants is to know that she's the love of my life. What she wants is to know that she has my heart. That's what she wants. Some people think that Cain's offering was rejected because it wasn't a blood sacrifice. While that is possible, that seems very unlikely to me. For several reasons. One is there's no reason why we are told that Abel's a shepherd and Cain's a farmer other than to say they gave of what they had. And we know from the law that a grain offering was a perfectly acceptable offering to God. As a matter of fact, even the language here, it's not called a sacrifice. The Hebrew is an offering. It's a more generic term. The Hebrews 11.4 passage that says Abel offered a better sacrifice, that Greek word is also a very generic term. It's not limited to some sort of an animal sacrifice, but to an offering. And it could include lots of things. But I do think there's something within us that kind of wants it 
to be the wrong thing. Because that's very easy to correct. Oh, I just brought the wrong thing. Just tell me what the right thing is, and I'll bring it. This is the essence of religion. It's just all about checking boxes. It's all about jumping through hoops. It's all about doing the rituals. It's whatever is necessary to keep God off my back. Just tell me what you want. This weekend, hundreds of thousands of people that identify themselves as Christians will go through church doors, and that's the frame of mind they're in. All week long, they've functioned as their own God. They've been running their own show. They have their own values. But they show up, and they just want to check a box. They just want to jump through a hoop. They just want to do whatever ritual is necessary in order to keep God off their case. Oh, I'm sorry, honey, you didn't want a bag of candy. Well, what is the thing that you want? I should have stopped at the hardware store and got her a weed whacker. <laughs> Maybe she wants that. It's trying to figure out the, wrong, the right thing and missing the point. As a matter of fact, I think the text is quite clear what the issue is. It says, and the Lord had regard for Abel, person, and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. The regard was for the person. If the person came with a right heart and a right motive, then the offering was acceptable. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. Ryan told us last week that faith, belief, trust, these words can be used interchangeably. It's what Abel believed about God, believed about the creator God. It was about ascribing worth to God and a desire to walk in obedience to this God that caused him to give the firstlings and the fatty portions the best of what he had to give. Cain, on the other hand, gave whatever. Cain wanted to run his own show. Cain wanted to do things his way. Cain was of the attitude, don't tell me what to do. This is what I have. This is what I give. Take it or leave it. To which God said, yeah, no thanks. I won't be treated that way. Cain's heart is exposed when God comes to him like a loving father and pleads with him. Cain, before it's too late, change your mind. Everything can be okay. But instead of hearing that and repenting, Cain just gets angry. And his way of dealing with the situation is to kill his brother Abel. This has always been true. If the wicked are confronted, 
They either repent and change their ways, or they figure out a way to silence the righteous. Jesus said this, that people in darkness hate the light because the light exposes their evil. This is what's happening today. This is nothing new. The wicked, when confronted with their evil, can either repent or they choose to try to silence the righteous. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. Abel gave the firstlings and the fatty portions the best that he had. And I'm quite certain he did so with great delight because he celebrated a very high view of God. It reminds me of David when he was fleeing from King Saul. And David wanted to offer a sacrifice to God. And to do that, he had to have a piece of ground. So he found a piece of ground and he offered to buy it. The owner of the ground recognized it was David and offered to give it to him free. But David refused and he uttered these words, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. It's really important as Christians to understand. This is not about always being comfortable. It's not about being convenient. It's not about the leftovers. It's not about what I can spare. It's not about doing our own thing all week long and throwing some offering on the offering on the altar and thinking God should be okay with that. I often think to myself, what does it really cost me to follow God? What does it cost me to worship God? I don't want to offer God that which costs me nothing. So let's think about this in a little bit more practical terms. From Genesis to Revelation, one of the consistent messages is if I maintain a high view of God, if I really am a worthy worshiper, then it should be manifested in my desire to be obedient to God. Makes me think again of King Saul who struggled with this concept. Saul was a box checker. He was a hoop jumper thrower. He couldn't get this figured out of what it really meant to trust God. So on this particular occasion, they're headed into battle. And before they go into battle, they need to offer a sacrifice in order to gain the favor of God. 
But Samuel is nowhere to be found. So Saul makes the decision that he will offer the sacrifice, something that was strictly forbidden. Then Samuel shows up and he says to Saul, what are you doing? And Saul said, hey, this was the box that needed to be checked to get God's favor. To which Samuel replied, to obey is better than sacrifice. God doesn't want the boxes checked, doesn't want us to jump through hoops. He doesn't want us just to go through the rituals. He wants our heart. And a heart that maintains a high view of God. A heart that's for God is a heart that is passionate for obedience. So let's just make this a little bit more practical. Let's think about this as it relates to a very non-controversial topic in our culture. Let's think about how this relates to sexuality. So sometimes people say to me, where does the Bible talk about sexuality? To which I answer page one. It's very interesting to me, this is one of the first things that God talks about. If the first five words of the Bible are true, that changes everything. God is the creator and designer, and what he has made has been designed with a purpose for a purpose. Genesis chapter one, we are created by God. We're created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God, male and female. There's nothing about that that's confusing. For a creature to choose to change gender simply because they feel like it is an act of rebellion against the creator and is deeply offensive to God. We as Christians need to understand when we celebrate that, when we affirm that, when we encourage that, when we participate in that, we are simply joining the rebellion and we're promoting something that's deeply offensive to God. You can't, as a Christian, do that and then think you're just gonna throw whatever on the altar and God's supposed to be okay with that. He's not okay with that. To obey is better than sacrifice. I have to tell you, my heart goes out to these kids. My heart goes out to these kids. It's hard enough to grow up and be a kid in this culture without adults traveling the way of Cain, unnecessarily confusing 
these kids. As Christians, we need to respond with kindness, with compassion, with love. We need to roll up our sleeves and help, but we are not helping if we are celebrating and affirming and encouraging these children to rebel against their creator. We cannot do that. Sex is not something that simply evolved. Page one of the Bible, it's designed by God. We are made by God, we're made in the image of God, we're made in the image of God with sexuality. Sex has been created on purpose for a purpose. God has made us as sexual beings. Ultimately, the sexual relationship is meant to be a taste of the intimate relationship with God that ultimately can satisfy our soul. And by the end of Genesis chapter two, page two, we are clearly told that sex is meant to be between a man and a woman in a lifelong one flesh relationship known as marriage. Any sexual relationship outside of that definition is an act of rebellion by the creature. So when we as Christians celebrate that, affirm that, encourage that, or participate in that, we are joining in the rebellion and promoting something that's deeply offensive to God. Whether that's pornography, whether that's same-sex relations, whether that's any sexual relationship outside of marriage. We cannot celebrate or participate that and then come before God and offer whatever to him and think he's okay with that. He's not okay with that. To obey is better than sacrifice. I realize this message is not very popular in our culture. I understand there's people that don't know me, that have never met me, that don't know anything about how I treat people. And they will call me all kinds of names for what I've said today. That's just the way it is. Sometimes obedience is costly. I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. But I want to tell you this morning, these words don't come from a heart of anger. They don't come from a heart of unkindness. I'm not wanting to be unloving to anyone. 
They definitely don't come from a heart of some phobia. It comes from a decision by faith. I choose to offer a better sacrifice. It comes from my belief that God is God, that he is the creator God, that he is in charge, that he determines right and wrong, and I am submissive and surrendered to that. And if I hold a high view of God, it will be manifested in my determination to walk in obedience to him. And on that I will not compromise. There's a couple more. There's a couple more very practical things to think about. When we think about offering our worship to God, one is time, the other is money. Consistently, the Bible lays out time and money as a very practical way to measure what you value. So stop and think about it. Does God get the firstlings and the fatty portions of my time? What does it cost me? It's not supposed to be convenient. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to fit into my schedule. It's supposed to cost me something. I choose to give God the firstlings and the fatty portions of my time. Same with money. Does God get the leftovers? Does God give what I can spare? Throw a few pennies on the altar? Or does God get the first links and the fatty portions of my money? How you answer that question and live that out on a daily basis will reflect whether you maintain a high view of God or a very low view of God. Whether you want to travel the path of Abel or the path of Cain. Jude, the New Testament writer, when talking about this rebellion against God, actually refers to it as the way of Cain. Back to Hebrews chapter 11 just to finish our text. It says, by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. In other words, it wasn't what Abel offered God that made him righteous. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. It's what Abel believed about God that caused him to be delighted to give God the best that he had. 
God in turn, by receiving the offering, gave witness that the heart of Abel is righteous. That's what it's saying. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. That's a very interesting statement. When people today talk about Cain, what they talk about is the way of Cain. They talk about a life of destruction and forever that's what it will be. That's the way of Cain. But here we are some 10,000 or whatever years later. And though Abel has been dead a long time, we still remember and celebrate this life lived by faith as he offered the better sacrifice. 10,000 years from today, the life of Abel will still be celebrated. And nothing can change that. I doubt there's anyone in the room that wants their life to be defined by the way of Cain. Who would choose a life of destruction? Say, no, we don't want that. We want to travel the path of Abel. How do we do that? It's quite simple. It's stated in the text. By faith. Based on what we believe to be true of God and our willingness to surrender to him by faith, by our beliefs, we offer the better sacrifice. It's by faith we live. Our Father, we celebrate the story of Abel, just like the text says. Though he's dead, we continue to be inspired by the way he offered the best he had to you. Lord, may that be true of us. May each day be defined by our willingness to offer to you the best that we have in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.